So welcome to the Retirement Gym. This is the podcast that aims to help you make good retirement decisions whilst you're saving for retirement and how to spend money when you're actually in retirement. Uh, today I've got me with me Ian McCarr of Bennett Griffin. Morning Ian. Nice to meet you Roy. Thanks for having us over. That's okay. But uh, Ian is a specialist solicitor. Uh, he deals with pre and post retirement really. Uh, but he's got a particular experience with those who are perhaps vulnerable. Uh, and some of those challenges around vulnerability are often associated with those in, in later life, That's I guess. Right. I think probably what I was looking to get from yep. conversation today is to talk a little bit about, uh, I guess, wills, powers yes. of attorney, really the importance of having those, uh, perhaps the consequence of not, not having some of those documentations in place and some of the other protections you can put in place uh, and plan for, really, yep. as you approach later life. So, so Ian, if we start at the beginning there, we speak with a lot of clients, I speak with a lot of clients about the importance of having a will. Uh, a lot of those clients will say, yes, it's it's on my list to do, but it, it's it's really ever comes to the top. Yes. Uh, and I think it's because the subject matter is perhaps a little bit macabre. Um, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your experiences and um, the sort of work you do and, and, yeah. and some of the barriers you face when, yeah. uh, when, when, when talking about a will with clients. Yeah, I'd love to. And I'm hoping that the sort of extreme situations we see quite often in trying to resolve um, problems that have arisen, that the listeners can be proactive in trying to take steps to avoid that, really. So, you know, we see some of the most difficult and challenging situations and resolve them, but it's much more satisfying to work with someone, plan their affairs for the future, uh, tie in with the advice they're receiving from their financial advisors, their tax accountants. Yeah. Um, and generally, people have those emotional barriers, I think, to thinking about death, illness, um, accidents, later life conditions such as dementia. Definitely. Um, Obviously, a will, essential, and we all know we're going to die. Yes. We might not know we'll get ill, we might drop dead, um, but, but there's, a, there's a place for that will as a foundational um, tool, really. And I talk about the legal toolbox. So if the listeners are thinking, okay, if I open up my toolbox, what do I have there? Is it, do I have a will there? Uh, is it uh, rather dusty and maybe a bit broken and out of date and there's a, a better piece of equipment nowadays that's mm. available if only I looked and took some advice? Uh, is there a power of attorney there? And preferably, are there two? So again, there might be an old enduring power of attorney lurking there, um, but actually preferable normally to have lasting powers because they can now cover property and financial matters and a separate document for health and welfare. The other bit is that a step further back from that is how do we get information to people in the right way that resonates and connects and enables them to then take the proactive steps in getting advice. And I'm hoping the podcast today will will provide some of that information. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, it is a bit of a hurdle. So uh, I, I think you were referencing to me earlier today that, yeah. um, you know, there's still a remarkably small percentage of people who've perhaps got some of these, um, you know, what you're yeah. referring to as a toolkit. So uh, yeah. um, I don't know if you want to remind us uh, perhaps what those yeah. are. Yeah, so when you look at the wills, still probably two thirds of the country, adult population, don't have a will. Yeah. Um, and again, there are some key points around that. Um, where people are either misinformed or just um, haven't had the right information to take things forward. Mm. Powers of attorney, um, it still looks like it's about 8% of the country have uh, a registered power of attorney. Wow. Um, and that's after exponential growth. Um, 2008, there were about 85,000 being registered. 
Um, last year, it was about 835,000. Really? So they're yeah. big numbers, but in, a drop in the ocean, really. Compared to the adult population. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I've been privileged to be attorney. I'm also privileged to be on the Court of Protection panel, um, which is for deputyship. So people who haven't had a power of attorney or not a valid one, um, they can apply or their loved one can apply to be their deputy and have authority from the court to manage someone's affairs. Mm. And I'm one of 71 solicitors in England and Wales, where if there isn't someone who can take up that role, the court will allocate that person to myself and my team to then act in their best interests. So that's a huge responsibility, being one of only 71 it across is. the nation. Yeah. And it also gives us that practical experience and knowledge and expertise around managing people's affairs. And one of the gaps that I find around powers of attorney um, is that often the attorneys haven't necessarily had that experience or they haven't had their duties and roles and responsibilities appropriately explained to them. Mm. Um, the Public Guardian used this analogy about having a power of attorney a bit like a driving license. Yes. So every time if a listener gets their driving license out to prove their ID, they think, oh, have I got a power of attorney? That'd be a nice little prompt to think, yeah, yeah. hopefully do that. But the Alan Eccles, who was the former Public Guardian, he said that they want lasting powers of attorney to be as well known as driving licenses. So they want them affordable, flexible, and accepted wherever they're used. Yeah. Now that's a nice concept, <laughs> um, but my thinking around that and our experience is that a driving license, you have two aspects to that. You have your theory test, my son's 18, just passed that, well done Louis. <laughs> um, but you also have a practical test with an instructor to see that you can apply that knowledge yeah. to real life situations including dangers and there's very limited if any of that work that goes on with attorneys to make sure they can act appropriately they do have the skill sets they will comply with their regulations with their responsibilities and i'd guess many people who perhaps have been asked to be an attorney yeah. have no real understanding of what no. that means so. and the power of questions is if you're asked a question most people will say yes because they want to help yes but if they're acting in a crisis they may not necessarily seek the appropriate advice. They may not know um, that they're not acting appropriately. Or if the power of attorney hasn't been set up with appropriate safeguards, someone potentially is vulnerable to financial abuse. Mm. And I see so much of that, unfortunately, mm. where it's then a challenge for us to either recover money or to um, really bolt the door after the horse has bolted really. mm, yeah and i guess some of the the financial implication of some of those you know where people have been abused is it's is, huge. Is, is huge compared to the cost of actually putting some of these things at the yep. time and the time and the cost of putting these things in place exactly. in the first place yeah, yeah. That, uh, and often because both wills and powers of attorney believe it or not are unregulated so this drive to get more and more people to do them um, has been at the expense of some of the safeguards um, so again, if someone is looking in their legal toolbox and they've got those documents, there is still a question as to are they fit for purpose, either at the time they were made, because they didn't know what their advisor didn't know. Yes. They've relied on that. Um, or that situation in life has changed and at reviewing them, knowing what is available. So for example, an old enduring power of attorney, there are significant changes that can be incorporated to a new lasting power of attorney. Yeah. And the opportunity is there for people to review them and secure those benefits all the time they've got capacity. But if there is that crisis and they lose capacity, then that opportunity's gone. Mm -hmm. uh, and so 
So we talk about a will and a power of attorney yes. and we reference in the Office of Public Guardian. So what if we take them perhaps in turn, so yes. if I was looking at writing a will, so yeah. um, you know, a lot of clients will say to me, oh, well, I can, you know, I'm going to go and get one from WH Smiths and yeah. it costs £19.99. Yeah. Other supplies are available, obviously. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but um, so, you know, people will have that sort of mindset. What, what, why seek, seek out the professional guidance that you might, you know, you might find with someone as a specialist such yes. as yourself? Yeah. Uh, what are the benefits? Uh, and I guess from a practical perspective, when people are approaching that, what are some of the things they can do? For example, I would guess speaking to the wider family. You know, yes. We're Brits, we're yeah. um, perhaps embarrassed or we're very yeah. private about our finances. Yes. Talk, talk us through some of those yeah. points. No, thanks, Roy. I think it's good. It's, it's very much like we enjoy working with, with your team that um, one of the important things to us when we look to work with professionals are what are their accreditations, what are their experience. So when someone's thinking about their will in a legal context, there's a group uh, accreditation called Solicitors for the Elderly, okay. so SFE, and that assures both the quality of the advice, but also what's important is how that advice is delivered. So it's thinking about the environment and the context. So how can we best pass this information on to the person to receive that information in the way they can use it? Yeah. So some people are quite visual, so we'd be drawing diagrams and using pie charts and props. For others, that face-to-face -face meeting is really important to have that trust and you can pick up on the body language of what's not said just as much as what is. Yeah, I think that's really important, actually. You know, I know from a from a financial advisory perspective, you know, actually meeting someone and sort yeah. of understanding the whole, you can, have a, you can have a telephone call and you'll pick up on what someone's saying, but yes. actually some of those uh, non-verbal cues are really, really important, important uh, especially when you're dealing with, I guess, a really sensitive matter, yeah. uh, yes. you know, which, is, which yeah. is what a will would be. Yeah. I think the other... Um, aspect or another accreditation is something called STEP. Yep. Um, so that's Society of Trusts and Estate Practitioners. And the tagline for that organization is advising across the generations. So looking at that uh, and its groups of accountants and lawyers um, to think often, and it may resonate with some of the listeners, that uh, a child can talk to a parent about uh, their wishes, their preferences getting the up-to-date documents in their legal toolbox. But that's often uh, an emotional or a, a relational issue that's tricky. And I forewarned sometimes when we're advising families and generations that I may or my team may come out with advice that's well-received just because we're independent and we're the specialist. But the, the, the children, or in some cases the parents telling the child to do something, have been mentioning it for years mm. and they've never responded yeah. um, so yeah we're really alive to that relational aspect that thinking about death thinking about illness yeah. so yeah investing a bit more in the advice now rather than buying something off the shelf or going to somewhere um, who's not accredited or regulated that's okay. going to be important so and if I was uh, so if I was coming to see you Ian for I, I, I want a new uh, will what, what sort of practical steps should I take perhaps before yeah. I, I, I come along so um, you know my mind speak to the family yes um, but is, is it worth bringing a family member along so you can have a, you know is there any benefit to that sort of structure or yeah. um, we'd be really clear on we advise our individual clients so yeah. that they have the benefit of speaking frankly but as your team has experienced as well, often there is this relational, generational aspect of making sure that 
um, the individual's wishes and preferences are taken into account. Um, so we're quite happy to give information to the family, but when it comes to the specialist advice, that's very much for the individual. Yeah. But the practical things they can do, just like you had the budget that was a really good download from the last podcast, yeah. um, is to prepare a family tree. Now, my opening line to a client is, there's no such thing as a normal family. We all have this concept that there must be one out there, but there's always a story. There's always a relationship. There's always a history. Yeah. Uh, and the better and, and clearer we can have that information, the more bespoke and personalized the advice we can give as to what the options are. Okay. And then the individual knows their family, who they trust, what the different skill sets are, and they can start working out who they want in different roles. The second point is to have a really clear, simple overview of their assets and their income. And again, that's where uh, your help is, is invaluable. Um, and how assets are held. So are they held in their sole name or jointly? Because particularly after retirement, when we're starting to look at maybe inheritance tax as an issue, okay. but also, I don't know if you're finding concerns around funding long-term care is a real consideration. Yeah, yeah I think that's... Um you know, an increasing issue. So, um, you know, around that subject, yeah. you know, the notion of care, what will it cost, you know, both politically and with, you know, clients yes. that I see, for sure. Yeah. And with the will, for example, some sensible planning, um, utilising some quite straightforward trusts, yeah. can create quite a bit of flexibility, um, particularly with a couple, um, depending on if one needs care before the other. Uh, and what we're trying to do is create choices and opportunities yeah. um, for, for them and their family. Uh, and again, if that works out, a little bit, a few hundred extra pounds preparing wills now could save tens of thousands of pounds later when it comes on. to care later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but that information needs to be uh, passed over in a way that then the person can make the informed choice. Yes, I'd like to invest that sum now with yep. a potential return later or actually no it's eyes wide open that I want the basic standard arrangement. Um, what we what we need to avoid and try and prevent, and I hear it so often, is thanks for the information. We'll think about that, and when we need it in the future, we'll come back. Yeah. And sadly, I've had a number of times that unforeseen health crisis has tipped someone beyond the line for capacity where they won't be able to then make that choice. So it's yeah. much better acting and planning when there's no crisis, no time pressures. We're thinking about theoretical situations rather than the actual reality under, of someone in hospital. Yeah, and that brings about decisions under duress. Then. Yeah. So, uh, so, so the will, you're saying, okay, a very sensible thing is a family tree. So yeah. that wouldn't be something I would specifically yeah. think of. A, a detail of or an understanding of the assets yes. uh, and having an open conversation with, yeah. the, with the family. Um, if we start to think about uh, power of attorney yes. that you referenced, so... What should I be thinking about if I'm looking at putting a, a, a power of attorney in place? Who, you know, the natural one might be a brother or a sister or a mother or a father. Yes. Um, you know, are these sensible people to have attorneys? What sort of consideration yeah. should I be putting in place? Well, it goes back to um, what's a normal family? What's a sensible family member to be an attorney? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the individual knows the scenario and the strengths and the potential weaknesses far better than the lawyer. But the lawyer's role uh, and to provide value is to talk through scenarios from their experience of where attorneys have had to act and things that have gone well or things that have gone very disastrously wrong. Yeah. Um, one of the things that um, 
the step have a really good leaflet and I'll, I'll see if we can put it up on afterwards, yeah. which is about guidelines for attorneys when they're acting. Okay. And uh, sometimes through ignorance, because as you've said before, um, the attorney is been asked will you be my attorney they say yes none the wiser of what i think most people would just say yes yeah not aware of their duties their responsibilities their potential liabilities and the the usual scenarios are um someone post-retirement may want to move nearer to a child in later life yeah so is that child going to have them live with them yeah Uh, are they going to build an extension um, or is the child going to move nearer to the parent um, and move in? Or are they going to buy the property? Um, there, are, there are a number of restrictions that if they're acting as attorney compared to when someone's fully capacitous and yeah. can make those arrangements that wouldn't necessarily be evident to them. Uh, and their common sense thought may be, well, it's common sense to do that. And I think often it's, uh, you know, that thought process may be bound in the fact that they're just trying to help. Exactly. Uh, so the common sense decision yeah. about I'm trying to help yes. will drive you to yeah. behave in a certain exactly. way. But I guess what you're saying from a legal standpoint, yes. um, there needs to be sort of um, some a due diligence or a exactly. strategy. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. If, so plan in advance, like when you're building an extension, you get the designs, you would get planning permission and then you would implement. Yeah. Very much with the legal side is, OK, we're thinking of what are the options for this next step in the person's life. Yeah. So then what are those steps that need taking when we're going to implement that? On powers of attorney, probably the number one thing I'd say is there are real benefits to the lasting powers of attorney. Yeah. So when people look in that toolbox and there's a bit of dust there with an enduring power, often spouses or couples will have appointed each other yeah. as their plan A, but they may not have a plan B. And so I've seen it recently with a client, unexpected illness for one of the spouses, now the spouse who is well doesn't have an attorney who can act right? because okay. that person's vulnerable and can't make decisions. So if something happens to them, then exactly. they're in, uh, uh, they're in a, a, a troublesome position. That's yeah. right. Um, and they won't necessarily think to make the power of attorney because they're dealing with a loved one and time slips by. Mm. Whereas again, um, with lasting powers, you can now incorporate that plan B with maybe children or, or other conditions. Or I'd guess, uh, you know, again, a solicitor, such as someone yep. yourself. And um, I guess you were referring before we uh, we started recording, you were referring to the Office of Public Guardian yes. as well, standing in yep. that position. Yep. So do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about what would happen if you didn't have a power of attorney in place and yep. you needed to rely upon uh, the Office of Public Guardian? And I guess some of the implications of doing that as yep. well. So if someone becomes vulnerable and hasn't uh, had a power of attorney in place, then no one has authority over their affairs. So husband or wife, that doesn't provide authority to deal with their spouse's affairs. And there'd need to be an application to the Court of Protection. Mm. So the Office of the Public Guardian oversees vulnerable folk. The Court of Protection is the authorising body that would give authority to someone if they couldn't give it themselves. And because someone hasn't chosen someone, then there are quite a few checks and balances and protections with that quarter protection. But with that comes delay and cost. Yeah. Um, so someone would have to step forward and say, this person is vulnerable. Um, I believe I could act in their best interest. You have to disclose their full financial circumstances, including bank accounts, which branch, sort codes, balances, their will, members of the family, pay a large application fee of a few hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then put that to the court to decide. Okay. Um, the court will then make an order, 
um, and that deputy, if they're named, will have to take out an insurance policy um, effectively to cover the sums they're going to be managing in case there was any mismanagement or something went wrong potentially that vulnerable person wouldn't be out of pocket. So this is quite a significant process that yes. you're talking about, both in terms of time and, and cost. Exactly. Uh, and I'd guess this would come about uh, um, you know, uh, a distressing time quite often. So I think what you're saying is my wife and I, if I were to fall ill and there was no power of attorney in place, she would have to approach the Office of Public Guardian, yeah. and that can be about my welfare or it can be about my finances. Generally, it's to do with your finances. Okay. So it's another reason why you do a health and welfare power of attorney. So yeah. the, the Court of Protection will rarely appoint a health and welfare deputy. Okay. Um, it would generally be about property and financial affairs. Um, the health and welfare tends to be on a decision-specific basis unless the poor health is such that you'd be going back to the court so many times that it's not cost-effective and it's not uh, time-effective, then they will in those circumstances consider a health and welfare. The campaign to raise awareness about powers of attorney when the Mental Capacity Act came in 2007 was saying choice, not chance. Yeah. Do you want to uh, have choices and make those choices or do you want to leave it to chance? I add to that really, do you want the cost now and invest to get the advice or leave it to chance when there could be significantly higher costs because either you've had to apply to the court of protection or there's been a big dispute? Yeah. Or do you want the control or do you want to leave it to chance? So some people like to have planned and also like to make sure their preferences are documented. So when an attorney has to act in their best interest, they're following a map. So a bit like sat-nav, they're saying, yeah, this is where I want to get to. I've told you which direction to take. I want to stay at home as long as possible, not go in a care home. Yeah. I like my breakfast at 8 o'clock, not 10 o'clock. Tax planning is really important to me. I've evidenced that during my lifetime. And if I became incapable, I still want to maximise the tax efficiency. And, and the attorneys, if they've just said yes, will have no idea necessarily around the steps that need to be taken, nor will the donor... Yeah. To actually say, I want to document this. I want to give my attorneys the chance to instruct financial advisors in line with that strategy. Yeah, it's it's an amazing subject actually when you when you get into yeah. it because um, you know most individuals and those listening will have very personal views about actions that they want to happen again traditionally in their later life, but actually throughout their life. Yes, and um, there be. Uh, I would be naive to some of the things that you've spoken about today. And if we were to carry on speaking, there would be more things that would come out. I I, I think if I kind of summarise the conversation we've had, this isn't a simple bite-off-the-shelf process. This is a very personal uh, issue. Thinking about your assets, your wealth, uh, your welfare, and and how that would be treated, either if you were to fall ill or you pass away. Um, it is worth spending both time and money to have a look at that professionally from someone who's accredited. In doing that, you create, as you've just referenced it, in essence, a roadmap uh, for, for what happens. Yes. Uh, and the consequence of perhaps not doing that can be significant cost. And actually, to me, and I see this, um, you know, where people have um, perhaps fallen ill or something has happened, it can create a lot of dis- um, distress or even worse than that, um, you, you know, issues within a family. Um, so these are the things that people traditionally really want to avoid. Uh, so for those listeners at home, yeah, I, I guess what we're saying here is it, it is important to take the time to think about it, yep. to seek that advice uh, and put something in place that you can rely on in the future. Yeah, it's, it's much 
better, to make informed choices uh, without a crisis and look at hypothetical situations with less emotion, less tension and look at the options than to react in a crisis. That's really good, Ian. Thank you very much for for all that detail and for for being so prepared. (laughs) That's been really enjoyable. So so before you go, Ian, um, just three questions. So if you're down the pub uh, and you've got one piece of advice to give to someone, what would that be? Uh, As a trained lawyer, you're advised never to give advice in the pub or a party. (laughs) (laughs) So carrying on that theme, give information, but um, I can't come up with anything as witty as Jules. Don't eat the peanuts. uh, Does that not depend on how many beers you may have had before? Potentially. And um, if we're thinking about dying, what would your funeral song be? Um, It would probably be Celebrate. Cool, yeah. Okay, well, that sounds really good. I think that's quite a positive Got to keep song. it upbeat. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and uh, on the notion of perhaps a little bit more upbeat, then what, what's the best day of the week? Best day of the week, uh, quite fortuitously, is a Friday. <laughs> particularly a Friday evening when you can chill out, a glass of wine, comedy with the family, and you wake up. And it's still the weekend. Yeah, that's perfect. I'd uh, I'd completely agree with you. Friday's the way forward. <laughs> but uh, but Ian, thank you very much for for coming along and taking time out of your day to uh, to help the, uh, the listeners at home just uh, scratch Fantastic. the surface on what's important about wheels and power of attorney. Thanks thank for you. the invite. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Hopefully, you found the information interesting and useful. Ian referenced guidelines for attorneys, an important document, and the SFE certificate. These will be at www.carpenterbox.com forward slash retirement gym, along with other podcasts from our series. The next podcast will be hosted in March. We've got some exciting guests upcoming, including an economist, a psychologist, amongst other things, so a wide range of subjects to talk about. Thank you very much.